In ancient Israel, the the road between Jerusalem and Jericho was notoriously dangerous. Violent thieves often attacked travelers to beat them and rob them. And yet it was the only available road between those two cities, so people had to take the risk. They had to risk the danger in order to conduct their business and travel back and forth. And one day, a man traveling that road is violently assaulted. He's beaten senseless. He's stripped of his money and belongings, and he's left half dead by the side of the road. He doesn't deserve this. It's not fair. It's not right. It's unjust. He needs to be rescued. And yet a couple of deeply religious people walk by and they avoid him. They don't want to be bothered. They don't want to have to touch a man covered with blood. And they're more concerned with their own safety than they are with his condition. So they hurry past and leave the victim lying there. And then a man from Samaria comes by and he chooses to help that wounded stranger. And the Samaritan binds up the stranger's wounds and he transports him to safety and he even pays for his care. The Samaritan interrupts his own plans and he intervenes in the life of that wounded stranger to rescue him from the injustice of being robbed and beaten. The Samaritan intervenes in his life to bring about a change in his circumstances. It's an example of exceptional compassion. It's an example of the compassion that God has for people in need. And that's why Jesus told that story during his ministry. It's a fictional story, yet it's based on real life. And we know it as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And here's what I find really interesting about that story. When Jesus tells the parable, he doesn't say that the Samaritan was a nice guy. He doesn't say that what the Samaritan did was kind or gracious. Jesus says that the Samaritan showed mercy to the injured man. This act of compassion, this rescue was a display of mercy. Mercy. One of the most important qualities that our God exhibits. Mercy. One of the greatest gifts we can receive from God because we all need God's mercy. And Jesus arrived on the very first Christmas and he came and lived among humanity as a man so that he could bring us God's mercy in person. Through his life and through his teaching, Jesus demonstrated that he wants to rescue people who are broken by sin and broken by life. Broken like that wounded man on the Jericho Road. And rescued by God like the Samaritan rescued that wounded man. God loves to rescue people as an expression of his mercy. He extends his mercy to people who deserve judgment. And he does so by rescuing them from sin. He extends his mercy to people who are victims by rescuing them from injustice. 
And God's great compassion, his incredible mercy is continually on display in the Bible as he intervenes in the lives of people who desperately need his help. And in the events leading up to the very first Christmas, we see the mercy of God on display in the life of a young girl named Mary. Mary, a poor, unmarried, pregnant teenager. Mary, who learns that she will become the mother of Jesus. And after receiving that unbelievable, incredible news, how does Mary respond? What does she say? She proclaims the mercy of God. And we find Mary's words recorded for us in the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. Let's take a look. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Now, just a few days before speaking these words, or, or just perhaps a few weeks at most, Mary was visited by an angel, an angel who told her that she would miraculously become pregnant and she would give birth to God's son, God's son, the Messiah, the one who would set people free by rescuing them from their sins. Now, that message would be shocking to Mary in every conceivable way. First of all, she's engaged, but she and her fiancé, Joseph, have not been physically intimate, so it's not logical for her to be pregnant. And second, to get that news from an angel would be rather wild. And then to have that angel tell you, that this unplanned child in your womb will be the Son of God would be overwhelming. And yet Mary, this teenage girl, embraces the message that rocks her world. She embraced it because even though she's young, she is a woman of faith. She knows her God. She trusts her God. So she accepts God's gracious and disruptive plan for her life. And by the way, that's often how God works. His plans for us are so good for us. And yet his plans so often disrupt our own plans and our own preferences. I've experienced that in a personal way. I had plans for a business career, and God wanted me in the ministry. My friend Tim had the opposite experience. He had plans for the ministry, and God wanted him in the business world. God has plans for each of us, and it often can be disruptive to embrace his plans. And Mary understands that, and yet she's willing to do what God asks Even when we're willing, though, it doesn't make it easy. We can be willing and still be overwhelmed. 
and Mary, this young woman, could really benefit from some advice and some counsel and some encouragement. And so she heads off after getting this news to visit her older cousin, Elizabeth. And this is where the story gets even more wild and weird and wonderful. Elizabeth is in the middle of her own miraculous pregnancy, another pregnancy announced by an angel. Liz is well beyond the childbearing years, and yet she's just a couple of months away from giving birth to a baby who will become known to the world as John the Baptist. And when Mary arrives at Elizabeth's house, John, inside Elizabeth's womb, leaps for joy at the presence of Jesus. I don't even pretend to begin to understand that. Somehow the unborn John recognizes the presence of Jesus in Mary's womb. And now Liz doesn't even know yet that Mary's pregnant. Mary's just arrived. She hasn't been told the news. And yet when John leaps for joy at the presence of Jesus inside Elizabeth's womb, then Elizabeth somehow supernaturally knows what's going on. And she says to Mary, you are the mother of the Lord. Wow. And it's in response to all of these incredible things that Mary offers the words of praise we just read. And how does she begin? She begins by expressing gratefulness for the mercy of God, the God who is her Savior, the God who rescues her from her own sin, the God who mercifully chooses her to become the mother of Jesus. And Mary is amazed at all of this because in her own society, she's a nobody. She's just another poor teenager from a rural town. Yet in the kingdom of God, she is deeply valued. And so Mary proclaims the all-encompassing mercy of her great God. And Mary will continue to need the mercy of God in the days ahead because it's not going to be easy for her to fulfill God's plan. We know there will be people in her village who will not buy her story of a miraculous pregnancy. Some of her friends and neighbors will be convinced that she and Joseph have broken the moral code of Judaism by having sex before marriage. Mary is primed to become the brunt of unjust accusations. And yet she accepts God's plan because she fears God. She understands that God's mercy extends to those who fear Him and that's who she fears. She reveres God. She is in awe of God. And she fears God far more than she fears public opinion. Do we? Do we ever hold back from following through on God's plans for us because we're worried what people might think? Mary's not. She embraces God's plan. Because of God's mercy for her. And by the way, as Mary praises God with these words recorded here, are you aware that much of what she says actually comes from the Bible? She takes words that she has learned from the Word of God, particularly from the Psalms. 
And then she personalizes those words and she makes them her own. And her example reminds us that it's easier to pray and it's easier to pray, praise God when we are familiar with the Word of God. I think this is a great example for all of us. And I think it's a great example particularly for young people. When you know God's truth, you can be a young teenager like Mary and be full of great spiritual wisdom. And so in all of this, for Mary, this unplanned pregnancy is not an irritation to avoid. It's an opportunity to embrace. She receives it as a gift from a merciful God. At the same time, she realizes that that this future son is not just a gift for her. And so Mary now praises the mercy that God is going to bring into the world through her son. Let's continue on. Verse 50 again, because it is the heart of this passage, His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts, which means pride defines who you are. It's the core of your being. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary is now speaking about future events. Events that will take place when her son, Jesus, comes to establish his kingdom. And yet she speaks in the past tense as if they've already happened. And she learned that from the Jewish prophets of old. They often spoke that way when they gave voice to their prophecies because it demonstrated their confidence that the promises of God would come true. And Mary Mary offers her words of praise with that same confident tone because she believes that the promises of God always will come to pass. Here's what really catches my attention, though. Almost nothing Mary says involves what we would call the core of the gospel message. When we talk about the good news of Jesus, we focus a lot on personal salvation. And we talk about repentance and confession and forgiveness and baptism, and we should. Those things are incredibly important. And yet, there's more to the message of Jesus than just what affects us personally. When Jesus began his public ministry, he told us that he was coming to bring in the kingdom of God. His kingdom which transforms society. It transforms the world. And that's what Mary emphasizes in this prophecy of praise. Mary sees the need for God's mercy not just in the spiritual, personal realm of life, but also in the social and relational aspects of life. She sees that the world needs God's mercy in order to set things right. And she sees that need so clearly because she lives in a society where oppression is common. The ancient world was full of injustice, and it came in many different forms. 
People were oppressed by harsh governments, by rulers who wanted to acquire and then maintain power and to do so at the expense of the common people. Workers often were oppressed by wealthy landowners who took advantage of their labor. Ordinary people were oppressed by judicial systems that tilted the laws in the favor of the rich and the powerful. Poor people were oppressed by rigid class systems designed to keep them poor. And sadly, even in the spiritual realm of life, people could be oppressed. The Jewish religious leaders had played games with God's law so that all kinds of people were considered spiritually unfit. If you were poor, you must have done something wrong. And you were beyond the mercy of God. If you had an incurable disease, you were unclean and beyond the mercy of God. None of this was fair. It wasn't right. It was unjust. And Mary somehow knows, she somehow senses that this baby in her womb, the coming Son of God, is going to disrupt all of that and put things right. And so she affirms here in these wonderful words that as Jesus establishes his kingdom, he's going to bring down the prideful who care only for themselves and ignore the needs of other people. He will bring down unjust rulers who abuse and misuse their authority. He will bring down rich people who take advantage of the poor and the working class. He will bring down religious leaders who make people feel unwelcome in the family of faith. And Jesus is going to demonstrate that no one is beyond the merciful compassion of our great God. We need to understand that for people like Mary who so often, as part of their daily lives even, feel ignored or overlooked or taken advantage of, the coming of Jesus offers incredible hope. So she looks forward to that day when there will be justice for people who are unjustly treated. And that day will come. It will come as people fear God and experience His mercy and choose to live as followers of Jesus Christ by embracing the values of the kingdom of God. That day will come as unjust people repent and allow Jesus Christ to change them. Because God is merciful. And as Mary states, God's mercy is offered to anyone. Anyone who fears him. Not just a select few. Not just the rich and the powerful. God's mercy is available to people from every nation and every ethnic group and every language group. His mercy is available to people from every economic and social class. There are no outsiders and no second class citizens in the kingdom of God. And everyone is invited in because God's mercy is available to all. And that's the promise of Christmas. That's the hope that Jesus brings into this world when he arrives on the very first Christmas. The hope of God's mercy for anyone and everyone. 
you and I, we need the hope of God's mercy, just as Mary did and the people back in her day. Because tragically, oppression and injustice are not only things of the past. They're present in our world today. If you're a Christian living in Nigeria or Egypt or Syria, you live with the reality of daily oppression. Oppression from radical Islamists who want to make your life miserable. And Christians in those places are largely ignored and forgotten by the rest of God's global family. But God hasn't forgotten. Jesus cares about those people. And sadly, in certain parts of our country, if you're poor, you're ignored. The poor people living in Appalachia are considered white trash. And very few people care about them. The poor blacks and Hispanics who live in the inner city of Chicago and in the inner city of L.A., they're isolated and overlooked. And those communities are places where injustice reigns, but very few people care. Jesus cares. Did you know that our own community has a history of injustice? To cite just one example, Many, many years ago, there was a black church in the heart of downtown Eugene. And the city wanted that property. So they confiscated it and evicted the church. That was sad enough, but what's really sad is that many churches in this community didn't speak up on their behalf. Many churches weren't willing to speak up for their brothers and sisters in God's family. I guess they didn't care. And even today, there are some churches in our community who've made it very clear, sometimes overtly, sometimes covertly, that they don't want people of color to be part of their fellowship. They don't seem to care about people who are not like them. Jesus cares. Jesus cares because his mercy is available to everyone who fears God. And Jesus wants us as his followers to catch his heart and to care and to not draw inappropriate boundaries. He wants us to extend the welcome mat of the kingdom to anyone and everyone recognizing that we all desperately need the mercy of God. We all need to be rescued by God. Because in various ways, we are all broken by sin and broken by life. And Jesus steps into our messy world to give us hope. The hope of his mercy that overcomes injustice. The hope of his mercy that overcomes sin. The hope of his mercy to set this world right. That's the hope which arrives with Jesus on the very first Christmas. And that's because Jesus, born of Mary, this teenager, he comes as the Son of God. He comes as the Messiah. He's the only one who can bring God's light and life and love and justice and mercy to our so badly broken world. As I ponder all that Mary says here about God's mercy, 
I have to say that I'm grateful to be part of a church that our own, in our own imperfect, limited way, we're trying to get a hold of this and we're trying to live these things out. And over the past few weeks, we've been very deliberately trying to express God's mercy in our little corner of the world. At Thanksgiving, we gave away more than 60 baskets of food and household supplies to people in need, people living on the margins. This last week, I bumped into a single mom who was one of those recipients. And she told me that that food basket made all the difference. It came at a time when we literally had no money and the cupboard was bare. Your basket filled our hungry bellies. She said, your church was God's mercy to us. Thank you. Thank you for your willingness to be those kind of people. This last week, I dropped, it was such a joy, I dropped off a van full of Christmas gifts. Christmas gifts that many of you bought and wrapped and brought to the church. And I delivered them because on Friday night, kids in foster care got those gifts at a huge celebratory party. Now, why did you do that? Why did you spend your own money and take your own time? Because you wanted to express God's mercy to some kids who live in very difficult situations. Kids who are broken by life and need the hope of God's mercy. And then because of your generosity and your contributions and because of those who came to our benefit concert last Sunday night, this week I'm going to have the privilege of, on our behalf, taking $4,500 over to Holt Elementary School. 4500 bucks that we gave so that we could support the staff as they strive to bring Christmas into the lives of a couple of dozen of the neediest families in that school. Families who are living on the margins. Families who need hope. The hope that comes as God's people express God's mercy. And you know, the people that we have helped through these acts of generosity, they're white, they're black, they're Hispanic, they're Asian, because none of that matters. What matters is that they are human beings made in the image of God, and this particular group of people need to experience God's mercy. Because they've been beat up by life. And I'm so grateful that we together chose to be agents of God's mercy. Because God's mercy is what gives people hope. Now these things I've just mentioned, these are things that we do together. And we do most of them together every year. Yet I believe that God also wants us to think about the meaning of this for us as individuals not just as a community of faith. So as we prepare for Christmas in a little over a week, I believe God would like each of us to do two things. First, let's carve out a few minutes to simply reflect. To reflect on all the ways that we have been blessed by the mercy of God. And let's say thank you to the Heavenly Father for sending Jesus and bringing the mercy of God into our lives.
And secondly, let's pray and ask God this question. Heavenly Father, how can I be more effective at expressing your mercy to other people? And then because we've prayed, can we live with a sense of anticipation and expectation? Can we look for God's opportunity to extend mercy to the great variety of people that he brings into our lives? We have the privilege of taking the mercy that we've received from God and passing it on to others. This amazing mercy offered to everyone. The mercy that Jesus Christ brought into this world on the very first Christmas.